Man, we are living in incredible days, aren't we? Historic in a lot of ways. The word unprecedented has been used and overused in our day, has it not? Things we've never seen before. But here's one thing I want to talk about this morning that I believe God has already seen. I believe God has already seen the people of God responding in such a way that it would change the culture around them instead of being changed by the culture. How many agree that we need to be the change we want to see in others? Right? And so that's a very real concept. That's a very real thought. And so when we talk about life and how we're supposed to respond, I want to, I want to talk to you for the next uh, little bit here about standing in the gap. Standing in the gap. And my main passage will be out of Nehemiah, but I'm going to read a verse out of Ezekiel. So if you want to turn to Nehemiah, you can. But I want to read a passage out of Ezekiel. The passage is up on your screen. Turn to Nehemiah at some point here. But um, here's the one verse I want to read to you because you have to understand something. Um, something that is written here in Scripture has a background that is a lot bigger than just one verse. There's a lot happening in this verse. So let me read the verse and I'll explain it in just a moment. In Ezekiel 22.30, it says this. This is the prophet Ezekiel. He says, I looked for anyone to repair the wall and stand in the gap for me on behalf of the land so I wouldn't have to destroy it. But I couldn't find anyone. I couldn't find anyone. Now let me stop here for a moment because... In this passage of Ezekiel, the wall spoken of here is not of stones like we would know walls, right? We know walls, concrete walls, dry walls, all kinds of walls. But the walls that are spoken of here are the walls that are unreachable and unrepairable because the people's hearts were wrong. It was unattainable. And this attempt to repair the gap through religious rituals and messages, Ezekiel was saying, what you're trying to do and how you're trying to repair these walls is not working. Again, not physical walls, but in order to bring about change, the way you're doing it is very you-focused. How many know when you focus on just you alone that you can become very secluded and self-centered, right? That could happen. How many ever, you ever seen that happen in someone's life, maybe even on your own? When you become, now I'm not saying you can't rest. I'm not saying you can't focus on you and get you better. I, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when in the long term, the longer you focused on you, all of a sudden nobody else matters if you're not careful with that. Is that true? Well, that's exactly what happened, and that's what Ezekiel's talking about. So what, what happens when we don't listen to God's word and God's will. Well, what happens is exactly what Ezekiel's talking about here. He's, God is, he's talking through the prophet Ezekiel and he's saying, I'm looking upon the land for someone that's willing to represent me, that's one, someone that's willing to stand in the gap and believe for greater things, but I can't find anybody that's righteous enough to do it. That's a scary thing when God can say, I'm looking upon everybody and I can't find one. To stand in the gap. Again, these are not physical walls we're talking about. But I do want to look at this because what do people really need 
in order to build these spiritual walls of help in their lives. He says, I can't, I can't, even, I can't even look upon anyone that's righteous enough. And, and so what they needed was spiritual reconstruction in their lives. And like many of us today here, we need spiritual reconstruction. I need our prayer warriors praying right now because I, I know there's some walls that have uh, been denied because God, is a, God, God wants to put you in the right place and there's no protection. There's not everything from the outside and everything in the world affects you. It, it gives you fear, doubt, anxiety. Some of you walked in this room with all the above. And that's because you have no walls to guard you from what the world is offering you. So when we give the appearance of loving God without loving his way, here's what happens. We're covering up sins with what we call whitewash faith. You ever painted a dirty wall? That doesn't mean you cleaned it. It just means you painted over it. Guess what's below the, below the paint? Dirty wall. Just because you paint it doesn't mean it's clean. But you covered over it and it's no longer looking dirty and the presentation is better. But the dirt is still there. And that's exactly how Ezekiel puts out the story. And so what happens when many people use religion as a whitewash? Well, it, it, it's, it becomes something where we're not really dealing with the issue. How many know that what's happening in America today is not so much a racial issue or a political issue or this, that, money, financial issue? It's a heart issue. We no longer love our neighbor as ourselves and we often, hello, as a nation, done everything we can to get God out of it. And then when we booted God out of everything and everything goes wrong, then we go, God, you never really cared for us anyway. Where were you when this went bad? He said, I was out of the house like you kicked me out. So, so what are we talking about? Only if God's word is the center of our homes is anything going to actually change. So let me move, if I can this morning, let's move to an example that has actual walls. Can I do that? Because in ancient uh, Bible times, the cities and the walls that surrounded that city protected them from outside forces. Very big. Maybe you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Anybody Lord of the Rings fan? Right? Lord of the Rings, you see that in those movies. You see in maybe other movies, right? Where the walls, they can't break down these walls. What happened in, in the movie Troy, right? When, when, when they were, they were they, there's no way, right? There's no way you can. And that, that's kind of the way I see that when I read these Old Testament passages. These walls meant something. They meant a lot of things and there were barriers between us and them and as believers we have to understand that every prayer becomes a barrier guard from us and the world that doesn't mean we don't love the world that just means that I'm not gonna let them infect me that mindset infect me I will love the world I'll hang with the world I'll be with the world as long as that world doesn't become worldly in me are you with me maybe you're here today and you you're not understanding what I'm saying Follow with me for a moment as I'm talking about standing in the gap. I want to talk about conviction and action for a moment. Because when you attempt to repair what has been destroyed, guess what? Some people that destroyed it or some people that are comfortable with the way things are are not going to like you to build it back up again. 
Now, when we talk about Nehemiah, turn there, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 4. A man without God is like cake without flour and milk. He lacks the essential ingredients. The essential ingredients to make it what it is. And Nehemiah had the essential ingredients. Here it is. Are you ready? Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm going to read a lot of passages, so follow with me. I'm going to start reading. Here we go. Verse 1. We understand that what's happening here it is. Ready? What's happening is Nehemiah felt a tug in his heart. And I'm going to read this in just a moment. But Nehemiah had called in chapter 3. God had told him, I need you to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. He felt this in his heart. He went to his king. He said, I need to go away, king. I need to repair these walls. In other words, I need to stand in the gap for the nation from which my ancestors come from. The walls have been destroyed for about 140 years now. This is not happening. This not happened last week. It was, the house was broken. And he wanted to go back and repair and bring back identity to his people. How many know America needs to come back to its identity? The church needs to come back to its identity. We need to know who we are again. Not that some of, some of us haven't forgotten. But maybe there might be a few that have here today. Let me encourage you with this. Nehemiah went back and he put his hand to the plow. And so let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1. When Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incest. And so he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those who heap burn, uh, heaps of rubble burned as they are? In other words, he's saying, look at these guys. They're trying to repair the walls 140 years. Are you kidding me right now? The walls have been destroyed. And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was with, by his side, he said, what are they building? If even a fox climbs on, it's going to knock it down. Like, look at this feeble attempt. What a horrible attempt, this guy. What is he doing? How many know that not everybody's going to believe your dream and your vision for your life? If you're waiting for people to believe your dream and your vision, you're waiting too long. You're going to be waiting forever. Because the closest of the closest people in your life, some of them are going to go, I don't know that that's a great idea. But you've got to listen to one. The one God that knows all about you and what he equipped you with, he will blaze a trail on your behalf. How many believe that? He called you for something and he will give you what, it, what is necessary to do it. So let me tell you something. Let me just read a little bit of this. Sambalot, Tobiah, and the Arabs and the Ammonites, verse 7. They were just completely ripping into Nehemiah and the people trying to rebuild the walls. They're just hanging out, just like, look at these guys. But you know what the Bible says in verse 6? They worked with all their heart. Listen, when you start to work with your heart and start understanding that this is what God called me to do, this is what God called me to do, God called me to pray for my spouse, not judge them. A witness is different than a judge. I'm called to pray. I'm called to respond to God, not react to the enemy. So watch this. They started plotting. Has anyone ever had opposition? Raise your hand if you've ever had opposition in your life. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you haven't lived long enough. <laughs> or you're in denial. Right? Because we've all had opposition, right? So what happened? 
they had heard whispers that they were trying to stop their plans and they were going to raid them. And so verse 8, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. The verse 9 says this, but we prayed to our God and we posted a guard. Prayed to our God and posted a guard. Prayed to our God and posted a guard. Why am I saying that over and over again? Not because it rhymes to some degree. But you know why? Because in order to respond, look at me. Everyone look at me for a moment. When you respond to God and you get threats, you have to realize there are two things that need to happen. You need to pray to God because he's your source and post the guard. Be on the lookout. Understand that there's a very real enemy and he does not like you. This enemy does not like you and he has bad breath. He doesn't like you. He doesn't like what you stand for. He doesn't like that you came to church this morning. You know what he wants to do? He wants you to think about lunch and the playoffs while I'm preaching. He wants you to check your phone and pretend that you're reading from the Bible app. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you not to focus on what I'm about to tell you. Because this right here will change your life if you hear me. When you pray without posting, you become callous. When you post and position yourself without praying, you become religious. God doesn't want you callous or religious. He wants you faithful. So it's not one or the other, it's both. You know what they did? They prayed to their God and they posted a guard. They prayed to the God and they posted a guard. You know what God wants you to do? Pray to him and post. God wants you to do something with your hands. God wants you to do something with your hands. Discouragement will set in, yes? How many have ever been discouraged? They got discouraged. So what happened? What did Nehemiah do? Let's jump to verse 13 for a moment. So what did Nehemiah do? You know what he did? He posted and stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall. When he found out that they were going to raid the walls and they were going to come through the open parts of the wall that they had already built, they got some of the wall done. You know what he said? He said, I am going to post them by, watch this now, post them by families with their swords and their spears and their bows. Posted them by families. Why? I'll get to that in a second. Don't be afraid of them. This is what Nehemiah said to the people, verse 14. Don't be afraid of them. Who's them? The enemy, right? Don't be afraid of Sambalat, Tobiah, and all the Arabs. Don't be afraid of them because I am with you. But watch this. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. This is straight from the Bible right here. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Stop, stop, stop. He posted them by families. Did you hear that? And then he says, this is a huge statement because it's not just a statement, it's intentional. Let me say it again. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and their homes. This is a battle that extends far beyond the country you live in. It has to do with the culture that you will accept in your home. This had very little to do with Jerusalem at the moment. 
Jerusalem as a country lost their identity. They lost their security. They lost everything about themselves when they lost those walls. They were broken. Their home broken. Their lives broken. Why? Because the world was now let in to their world. Friends, the battle that we face, I need you to hear me because I don't want to preach terribly long today, but I need to get this point across. It is very clear that right now it's kingdom culture versus a worldly culture. It's very clear. And if I, as your pastor, don't tell you that, I'm not informing you properly. You have to understand that the kingdom is not of this world. I am only passing through here. This is not my home. Now, I want to live here in peace as long as I'm here. But I'm not going to live in fake peace. In other words, fake peace is not fighting the enemy because I'm scared or I don't know how to. So I give in to his tactics and do whatever he wants me to do. That's fake peace. It's not real peace. Would you say that the Israelites, when they were under the Egypt's rule and they were slaves to Egypt, that they were at peace? No. But were all their needs met for the most part? If that's your comfort zone and you're okay with that, so be it for you. But I'd rather war for real peace. I'd rather have a kingdom culture mindset. And it's, 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 it's no longer fun and games. The enemy doesn't love you. He doesn't like you. In fact, he hates you. And he hates the fact that you're here. He hates the fact that you own a Bible. He hates the fact that you even read it. But he's okay if you read a little bit and don't act on it. He's okay with that. As long as you don't respond to it. He's okay with that. Because you're no longer standing in the gap. You're no longer doing something different. Israel had lost their security, their identity, and their ownership. But he said, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters. You know why you're fighting? You know why you're here? Here's why I hope you're here. Here's why I hope you're here. You ready? I hope you're here because you want to be a better version of yourself so you can make your family stronger and make your community better. That's why I hope you're here. The enemy wants you to just check off a box. Go to church. Check. Put everything in the crock pot in the morning. Check. Send that text out. Pay that bill. Check, check, check. He just wants you to check off something on your list. But I can't always choose what confronts me when I live for God, but I can choose what follows me. Because every decision you make, especially this morning, the decision that you make to follow Jesus will follow you. Whether you choose to follow him or not, that decision will follow you. I can't choose what confronts me, right? I can't choose what comes against me. How many know that's true? I can't choose whether or not I'm going to be uh, attacked by someone at work verbally or, or uh, in some way accused of something. I can't, I can't control those things. You realize that? You can't control those things. When someone says something bad against you or about you, if someone posts on Facebook about you, lies, 
You can sit there and defend yourself. I've had to, I've had to do that. So they try to defend myself at times. Other times I just let it go. They don't know the real me. You can sit there and fight, fight, fight. I can't choose what comes against me. But here's what I can choose. I can choose the way I react because that's going to follow me. If you say I don't like you and then I hit you with my car. <laughs> guess what's going to follow me? Not the fact that you said I don't like you. That's not going to be relevant anymore. That's long gone. I hit you with my car. You're done. Broke all kinds of stuff. And now I stand before a judge. Why? Because my decision follows me. What you allow in your home follows you. Are you hearing me? It's no longer about what the enemy said about me, what that person said about me, what this person accuses me of. What that, it's no longer about that. It's how you reacted. Nehemiah reacted in faith. He said, listen, these walls are broken. I need to fix it. They want to threaten us. Let's stand up. And you know what he did? He stood with a sword in one hand. Right? He stood with a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other. And he said, I need to work, but I need to also pray. Right? I need to work and I need to war. These are important elements. I need to pray. I need to believe. But I also need to post a guard at the weak points in the wall. So watch this. How important is it for a man, the father of the home, man of the house to receive Jesus. Well, I found this some years back. I found this, uh, this statistic, and I don't know how. I believe it's still accurate for the most part. It says this. If a young person gets saved, 19% of the time their, their family comes to Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. If a mom or the woman gets saved, 32%, that number jumps to 32% of the households come to Jesus. But you know what happens, man? Let me talk to you for a moment. You know what happens when a father gets saved and he says, I want Jesus to be Lord of this home? 82% of the time the family follows. Did you hear that? Wives, pray for your husbands. Those who are not wives yet, pray for your husbands. Your husbands-to-be. When you start to really think about those things, you can get discouraged. Because you're like, man, am I making a difference? Can I tell you every single prayer makes a difference? If it's not for them, it's for you. Hang in there. Amen? The toughest part of trying to restore home is when trouble arrives, will you live in despair or desire repair? Will you live in despair or desire repair? So let me give you three quick points that I believe is going to help you rebuild and stand in the gap for your family. Are you ready? Number one, rely on God. Not your gifts, not your abilities, not all the things that you like and all the things you don't like. Rely on God. I love what Nehemiah said, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads and give them over to plunder and land the captivity. He said, God, this is you. I can't deal with these people. Hello? How many ever had to deal with a hater in your life? Come on. Haters, is that the right term? Come on, somebody. Some of you are like, I think that's the right term. Haters, haters, 
People that don't like you just because you're you. You can be the nicest person on the planet. Somebody will hate you. Hello? I know. I've been there. I'm the nicest person I know. <laughs> you ever met somebody that's really nice and you're like, how could anybody not like them? That person is so nice. I feel evil they're so nice. You ever met somebody like that? Like life is rainbows and sparkles? You're like, how do you get there? And you think, Jesus, the Son of God, never sinned, loved everybody he encountered. There were a few tables he turned over, but that was a different purpose. But he loved everybody he encountered. In fact, the disciples were like, no, no, no. Give, give the master, the rabbi, room. Give him room. And they're like, no, no, bring him. Let him come to me. Why? Because he loved people. And even people didn't like Jesus. But the lie is this, that if I rely on God, then I don't have to do anything. Hello? That's a lie. You need to do something. If you believe lies in your life, you empower the liar. When you start believing lies about yourself or people, the more lies you take in, you empower the liar. You really do. And so let your faith be in God, not in yourself or your abilities. Use your abilities, but trust in God. Yes? Number two, reinforce the weak points. If you know there are areas in your life, in your home, in your family, in your marriage, look at me, reinforce the weak points. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, when you were in grade school, you remember those little white circles? When your paper tore and you got those little, come on somebody. Remember paper? Remember paper? Because some of you, I'm already lost you. Remember paper? It's made from trees. Remember that? Some of you are like, no, Pastor Tony. Swipe. Paper. When you tore the paper wrong, you were in grade school, the three-ring binder. And something tore. And you pull out this little thing in your backpack that had little white circles on it. Made you hungry for Oreos or Cheerios or something with O's. I don't know. You pull the thing out and you put it right on your paper on the front and the back. And what did it do? It reinforced your paper so it would stay in your binder. Here's the problem. The paper's still torn, but you brought in reinforcements to make it stronger. What are you bringing into your life? To make your life stronger in the areas that you're not strong in. What are you allowing in your life today and welcoming to make the areas that are weak stronger? You needed something. You need something, right? Some of us are like, Pastor Tony, I'm not one off. I'm all, all three of them off. Like, I'm off the binder. Like, I'm on another shelf. I'm torn from that. But you know what? God says, you know, I... I want to come, but you need to understand that you need to reinforce the weakest areas of your life. And sometimes God puts people in your path that their strength is your weakness. And sometimes it's a spouse, it's a friend, whatever that looks like. Stop getting mad 
because the people around you are better at you than stuff in stuff. They're better than you in stuff because they're supposed to be. You can't be good at everything. We want to be good at everything. We don't want to have weak points. Hello? I'm preaching something today. I'm telling you right now, you're not good at everything. Newsflash. You're not good at everything. But there are people that God is putting in your path that are. And why don't you welcome them instead of combating them? What happens when somebody is better at something? We get all offended. We start getting real tense. What if they, what if they take my job? Or what if they do this? Or what if they... Guess what? God has put people in your path. Friends. And you are so worried about them that you forget the enemy. They're there to help you and they become the enemy. You're no longer reinforcing your weak points. You're enhancing them. Oh, that's good preaching right there. God doesn't want you to, God doesn't want you to, to enhance your weak points. He wants you to reinforce them. Buckle down and understand there are areas of my life that need work. Let's take time and deal with those. Just like Nehemiah, but families, families. Why? Because you could fight with your family. How many know that I'm going to fight with my family, right? Like if I know that my sons and my daughters are on this side of the wall and there's a big hole and that person that's an enemy is trying to get through the wall to hurt my family, how many know that I'm going to fight harder than I would for someone that I don't know? So Nehemiah got hip to it. He didn't post them by strength. He didn't put like four or five men in this wall. You know what he did? He put them by families. Why? Because they're going to fight and scratch and poke and stab and do whatever it takes to make sure that my family is protected and we're going to fulfill this task together. But what happens when the church of God starts fighting itself? We're standing at the weak parts of the wall fighting ourselves and the enemy's like, this is going to be easy. Y'all don't even know I'm here. You don't even know I'm creeping closer to the wall every moment. We're sitting there fighting each other because this person's that and that person's this. And How many know that we need to stand in the gap? And that standing in the gap means you and your family. How are you making prayer and Jesus Christ a priority in your home? Reinforce the weak points. I like this picture right here real quick. I'm going to show you this picture. And it talks about sanctification. This is a process of sanctification. In other words, the top is what everybody sees. The bottom is what actually is. That's what sanctification looks like. You say, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the process in which God's grace comes upon a believer and we become separate from sin and, and closer and dedicated to God. Show back that picture again one more time. Because what we do is we often focus so heavily on the white top part and we, we want to make sure everybody sees righteousness. But we don't deal with the bottom part. The part that really caused the issues for any boats pursuing in that region. Hello? 90% of sanctification is underneath and what's happening inside. So, so what if you don't? personally look like every single day like the believer you want to be yet start working on your heart start working on things nobody else sees things will change amen somebody say stand in the gap 
That's what God called us to do. Stand in the gap for those that are weaker than us. Stand in the gap for those who don't know Jesus. Stand in the gap for your family members, your friends, people that have not accepted Christ. 90% of what is happening in you, hello, is stuff that nobody sees. Recognize the weak points in your life, in your home, in your family, and don't let up until the issue is resolved. Don't stop praying. And the third point is simply this, refuse to quit. Somebody say refuse to quit. I love what Nehemiah said in chapter 4, verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of the plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Guess what? When they had heard that they were coming, they didn't stop working. They didn't stop praying. They went back to the wall and continued to work. All right, everyone look at me. Refuse to quit what God is doing in your life right now. Listen, it's a new year. This is a great time to hit reset. This is a great time to go, you know what? Forget 2020. It's done. We've passed it. Thank you, Jesus. Let's move forward. Now, 2021, what are you doing that's different in 2021 than you did in 2020? Because guess what? If you're not changing your habits in 2021, it could spill over. Just because you flipped the calendar day, the month, right? Just because you flipped it on, from one day to the next, doesn't mean all the problems go away. But you know what mentally happens? We can say, I can hit restart and start all over again. How many of you could use a fresh restart? Come on, all across the room. How many of you are online? Show me a, give me a thumbs up if you're online right now and you say, I, I can use a new fresh start. I can use a fresh start. That's for sure. So here's what I want to tell you. And I want to kind of wrap this last verse up. Here it is. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. I think we have it up here. So the wall was completed. They worked and they worked. Say with me. They worked and they worked and they worked for 52 days. 52 days. They worked and they worked and they worked. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid. And they lost their what? Self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God is the orchestrator of restoration. And if you want your home restored, this is the moment. And I'm going to ask for you to respond here right now. All across this room, would you bow your heads all across this room right now? And I'm, I'm going to be very crystal clear. I'm going to ask you to respond in some way right now in this room. If you're online right now, I'm going to ask you to pray with us right now. And in your own way, begin to commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Begin to say yes to the Lord. And, and as we have our head bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment, just a moment, we realize today that there's a lot of things that we will be remembered for. Father, I'm asking you here today that, Lord, may my life at this moment be an offering to you. I'm asking you in the next few moments to speak to these people. Everyone at the sound of my voice, speak to them because we know that you're doing something in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Don't cut the feed yet because I want to share one more story with you. 
Those of you online, stay with me for just a few moments. Those of you in the room, look at me for a moment. I need you to understand something. Noah's memorial was the ark. People remember him about the ark. Abraham's memorial was found in its altars. Moses was the law. David's was Goliath. Zerubbabel's was the temple. Nehemiah's was this restored wall. But I found this incredible story that I want to share with you before we respond to the Lord here this morning. After World War II, there was a group of German students who volunteered to help rebuild the English cathedral that had been severely damaged with all the bombs that had taken place during the war. As work progressed, they became concerned about the large statue they had of Jesus whose arms were outstretched and they were, uh, the inscription underneath the, the specific sign said, come to me, come to me. They had particularly difficult trying to restore the hands. They were trying to find a way to restore the hands. And after much discussion, they decided they wouldn't let the hands remain missing and change the inscription to Christ has no hands but ours. Christ has no hands but ours. That's an interesting concept because the question I pose to you is simply this. We look at that sign, we look at that picture, we kind of get a mental image that you are his extension. Listen, fathers, look at me. Every father in the house, every man in the house, hear me. Your house will only be as spiritual as you are. Mothers, children that love Jesus, made him Lord of your life. Can I tell you something? Keep praying. Because the reality of Christ's hands being ours is scary, right? Because that's a heavy responsibility. That Christ has no hands but ours. That doesn't mean that God is unable to move. <laughs> that's not what that means. But it does give a responsibility. Not just to pray and do nothing. Not just to do something and not pray. But friends, taking the two and saying, I'm going to passionately pursue God and passionately follow him. And I'm going to work until he comes back again. Because friends, believe it or not, he's coming back again. You don't have to believe it. He is. So today, uh, my question is simply this. Are you willing to be his hands and stand in the gap for people? Father, thank you that we are called to be your hands. We love you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me all across this room, and this is real simple. This is a response. No, please, no talking for just a moment. Just stand with me for a moment. If you're here in this room and some challenge, something about this message I just brought to you, something stood out to you today. Hear me. I'm going to have all the house lights up. If I can have one of the ushers help me. All the house lights up for a moment. Just all the house lights up. I, I, want you to, I want you to see me. I need you to hear me. I need you to watch what I'm about to tell you. Because there's some of you that so desperately want to see God move in your life. You want to see God in your home. You want to see God in America. You want to see God everywhere. But you, can't, you don't understand how that's going to happen. It happens when you stand in the gap. So maybe God has called you to stand in the gap for a spouse, a child. Maybe it extends further beyond that. And maybe it's standing in the gap for community, your neighbors. 
How many have a neighbor that you know desperately needs Jesus, right? I do. I have neighbors that need Jesus. How could I be a light to them? How could I then extend that and pray for our, our state and our nation? Or better yet, the state of our nation. You know how that happens? That happens when the church says, okay, God, I am your hands. That wall would have not been built in 52 days if it was just Nehemiah. Are you hearing me? That wall would have not been built if it was one man. God gave me and my wife a vision to start this church nine years ago. And I promise you we would not be where we were if it was just her and I. People bought the vision. They understood the identity. They understood the DNA. Sammy, you're one of them. Shane was one of them. Many that stood with us in the beginning and said, we believe in the vision. And here we stand in this 10,400 square foot building, loving Jesus and, and, and having amazing times, loving, uh, loving the, the community, changing lives every single week. We're changing around the globe internationally. There's people that log into this church from other nations. We're affecting the world that could not have just been me. Somebody bought into it. Just like I'm asking you to buy into the vision that God has something for your home. Stop thinking that you are less than or unable to. That is a lie. And when you believe a lie, you empower the liar. What are you going to do about your home? Because it needs to get in order. And I'm telling you that in love. I'm not judging you. You hear me? I have a judge. I serve the judge. I'm a clerk in his house. I serve the judge. One day he will judge every man, woman, boy, girl for everything that they've done. So what am I saying to you? Respond to him today. And if that's you today, you can say, Pastor Tony, I have not stood in the gap for my family. I have not stood in the gap for my own life, my community. I have not done that, but I want to. If that's you, without hesitation, slide up out of your seat. Meet me at the altar. Let's pray together. Come on. If you're saying, you know what? I've not stood in the gap. I've not followed Jesus. I've not done it right. Slide up out of your seat. Don't think that you're the only one, please. There's plenty of people about to come. Come, come, come. Just come. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. We've all been there. We've all been there. And I'm the first one here. I'm the first one here. Because... There are times as a pastor that I had to look at my wife and say, I messed up. As a husband, I messed up. I'm sorry. I didn't fight for what was right there. Stop thinking it's somebody else's job to fight for your family. Stop thinking you'll bring your kids to church so they can learn about Jesus and I'll have a break. Let them disciple my kids. They're only here for two hours. What about the other 160 some odd hours that they're with you or school? If you don't give them something to live for, the world will give them something to die for. Is there anybody else willing to stand in the gap? Slide up out of your seat. Now's the chance. God help us. Come on, somebody. I need some of our prayer partners to stand behind these individuals right now. Those of you who know to pray. Sammy, come. Aaron, come. I need some people that know how to pray. Come, come, come. 
Father, right now, come on, extend your hands. If you are, if you're saying, you know what, I'm good. I feel like I'm in a good place. Extend your hands right now. If you're at this altar right now, I'm going to encourage you. If you can, just humor me for a moment. Maybe just lift your hands in a way that that just kind of surrenders to God. Maybe put your hand on your heart if that feels better. Or do nothing. That's fine. But all I'm asking for you to do right now is say, God, help me to do more than just pray or just do more than just action. Help me to do both. Because I stand amazed at how good God has been to every family in this room. Father, thank you for every home. Thank you. Thank you, God, that there are people in this room that are willing to stand and say enough is enough. I'm taking ownership of my home. And my family, my kids, my spouse, the devil's had enough ground. I'm done. God, help me to stand in the gap for my children, the ones that I love, and my family. God, help us to stop compromising our faith for a world that can care less about me. I'm done. It is all about you. Strengthen me that my home will be strong again. I stand in the weak points realizing that I am not perfect and I need a savior would you come and rescue me be a blessing that I may be a blessing to my my home my spouse and restore restore my home restore my home again Lord I pray that we would never again think that it's somebody else's job to pray for my home that we think for a moment we can do this on our own it is prideful and selfish God I don't want to live there I don't want to be prideful or selfish so help my mind to be alert and stay amazed at your great love. My job is not to make you feel better. My job is to give you the truth, unsolicited truth, and uncompromised. And the untainted truth is simply this. If you don't pray, if you don't pray, Nobody else will have the deepest conviction, the deeper conviction than you for your home. We need to start making Christ a major priority in our life. Not a priority. It's one of the top things, Jesus, bills, work. Like, he needs to be the priority. And everything else will fall. Because when you get that right, everything else will come on on the play. Everything else will come under that umbrella. And the way that... I see, especially social media and all these things, the way 
Christians are talking to each other just because somebody else believes differently, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We're not going to see God move the way he wants to move when you can't even agree to disagree. It's disgusting. And it's far beyond that. It's not just social media. It's what, what are you allowing in your home? Movies? Music? People? Things? Beliefs? If there's a doubt, then do without. If there's anything that can that compromise a scripture, it's your choice whether you let it in your home. Period. How do we clean house? How do we get sanctified? We start cleaning some things that directly affect us. You're hanging around poisonous people? Guess what? Sooner or later, that poison will affect you, like it or not. Right? Evil company corrupts good morals. Plain and simple. Proverbs. Amen? How many know we need to move forward? How many want to stand in the gap for your family, your friends, your community, and this church? How many know we need your prayers? So let's stand in the gap one more time. Let's pray, and I'm going to release you guys to get your kids and do whatever you need to do. Realize this. Something needs to change from this day forward. What is going to change? How are you going to stand in the gap moving forward? What are we going to change? And I want you to write it down. Even before you leave this room, go back to your Bible, write it down. I'm going to change this. Because if you don't have, if you, if you fail to plan, just plan to fail. Make a plan. Say, God, this is, I'm going to change this this week about myself. Amen? Father, thank you for these amazing people you've allowed to be a part of this live in-service opportunity. I pray for those that, Lord, first of all, accepted Jesus as their Savior today. I'm excited. I'm, I'm just beyond blessed of five that said yes to you. But I'm also blessed about the people that come forward here tonight, today rather, that said, I want Jesus to be the reason why my family moves forward. I want to stand in the gap for my family. I want to fight for my family. May we be those people that everyone goes, man, that person really made a change in their life. We want to be that. Not because we want to be noticed, but because we want Jesus to be lifted up. And if you're lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray.